In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, James Salzer, our statehouse veteran, an emphasis on veteran. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, as the veteran, we're going to be talking to you about something that I don't think even you've seen in all your years of Captain of the Capitol, which is the secret recording of a conversation between Clay Tippins, who finished fourth in the GOP race for governor, and Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, the frontrunner and the candidate who's in a runoff in July 24th against Secretary of State Brian Kemp. So this conversation place, took place two days after the May 22nd primary in Cagle's campaign headquarters over in DeKalb. You can head to AJC.com to read the whole story in the, in the transcript. We're going to be sharing clips here over the next few minutes. James, have you ever seen anything like this? No, I mean, it's, it, I've been talking to a lot of people about this the, the last 24 hours, and it's bizarre because it's an admission to what anyone who's covered the Capitol or anyone who's a lobbyist, anyone who's a staffer, or anyone who's in politics kind of knows happens, but um, you don't usually hear somebody actually you know, spelling it out. Yeah, saying it so bluntly, this is bad policy, yet I have to do it. I mean, he said it three or, three or four different times. Yeah. it's This isn't about policy. It's about politics. And to, you know, the jaded the folks who work under the gold dome, everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah. He just said what everyone knows happens. But to a lot of voters out there and to a lot of people who who, um, who always suspected this is happening, but they're seeing, they're hearing it for themselves in the candidate's own words. Right. And, it, and it, one of the more interesting things about it, I think, when I, when I read the transcripts, is um, I don't necessarily think that the lieutenant governor is opposed to the 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 actual program, which is provides um, tax credits to people who give to um, essentially it's a way to funnel uh, uh, tax money into private school scholarships. I think what he was what he was saying is bad policy was this giant increase in the program, um, like almost doubling it in one mm-hmm. year. But if you read the transcripts and you read what he says, it sounds like he's saying the whole thing is bad, which is which is got to be fairly damaging the Republican Party because the, the Republican base um, traditionally has supported these kind of programs. So I mean, I you know I guess you could have said something like you know I hate guns that would have been even worse. But I mean it it, it wasn't it was not something that was probably you know the best thing to be fighting uh, in terms of policy. Yeah, it's not a hill to die on. Um, Let's take a step back and talk a little bit about how this recording was released and who Clay Tippins is. Because Clay Tippins is an outsider businessman who got into this race kind of late. 
I mean, he got in this race well after Cagle and Kemp and Michael Williams and Hunter Hill got in this race. He got in, uh, you know, just a few months before the vote as this outsider businessman who is going to bring a fresh take on on politics. Who was really upset with the establishment in the in the what, what he called the, the corrupt status quo. Um, he gets in the race and he runs a pretty unconventional campaign, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he focuses on issues you don't really hear Republicans running for governor focus on. They're not not necessarily bad issues, but just not sort of red meat issues. He's talking about expanding the medical marijuana program. He's talking about going after sex traffickers. He's talking about you know bringing a new, more data based workforce into into Georgia government. So not not necessarily, you know, crazy ideas, but it's just not what you hear on the campaign trail right. usually. Right. But he also talked about guns. He talked I about mean, guns. He, he went after uh as you remember State Senator Hunter Hill. Called him a traitor. Um, it called the traitor a, a guy who was a um you know, did several tours in the Middle East. So um but you're right. He he's not tra- the traditional candidate. He's, you know, Maybe maybe even a David Perdueish kind of candidate, and although David Perdue talked about more kind of conventional things, and a David Perdueish candidate without the the famous last name, although right. Clay Tippin's uncle is a state senator, but not nearly the same yeah. you know brand nec- recognition he's, of. He's known by a small you know district in Marietta, or, or excuse me, in Cobb, in Cobb County, County uh, rather than a you know the statewide population, right. and also a lot less money. And 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 this is a candidate who who even though he's not as as, as affluent as. As David Perdue, who did put a significant chunk of his own personal net worth, he spent uh, more than I think it was ended up being about four hundred thousand dollars plus of his own money in this race, um, which is a lot of money. But also, it's hard using uh, you know you, a lot of these outside uh, candidates without a lot of uh, you know fundraising ability end up putting a lot more money. And David Perdue right. spent a lot of his personal wealth in his race. Right. Clay Tippins couldn't do that. The irony of he, the the battle we talked about between he and Hunter Hill is that he and Hunter Hill had kind of the same base of fundraising. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of Buckhead, um, Atlanta business money um, going into that race and not a lot of money from, you know, other, other other areas. So they were actually kind of similar candidates, although Hunter obviously has some experience in legislature. Yeah, so we have this outside candidate who's never run for public office before um, who does something extraordinary you know, which is something we probably would never would not see any uh, any any you know more typical Republican candidate do, which is he goes into an endorsement meeting with uh, with Casey Cagle two days after the primary, sits down with Casey Cagle and has what we're told is a, is a ninety minute conversation with with Casey Cagle, uh, and tapes the whole thing. He hides an iPhone in his front pocket. Right. And you can kind of hear the muffling in the recorder yeah. as he's moving forward because it's hidden. Um, but he pressed that record button. And in Georgia, it's a one-party consent state, which means as long as one party knows they're recording, right. you're allowed, it's legal to record. And it was clear from, from listening and reading and then reading the transcript that he, he kind of baited him into the answer on, um, that, that we're all uh, talking about now um, on that bill. Um, because he asked, you know, he kind of... Uh, Led led him yeah. to to make the make you know make that statement. Um, so and remember, he, he knew what a, he was doing. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. And remember, this is a, a former Navy SEAL, right? So this isn't just a businessman. This is someone who has been trained uh, in, in the art of interrogation. Uh, and we can listen to a clip. And, and, and again, the, the, because they wanted that hundred million dollar SSO. And since. And, you know, uh, and I was the one guy standing in the way. 
Now, is it bad public policy between me and you? It is. And I can tell you how it is a thousand different ways. And And this is sort of the crux of, of, of the story and the recording. This is the main quote, is that you have a candidate for governor saying that he knowingly orchestrated the passage of what he calls, in his own words, bad public policy to prevent Hunter Hill, who ended up coming in third place, of getting what he said was $3 million in funding from an outside super PAC known as the Walton Family Foundation. Right, which, which I, I mean, I think that probably was more rumor than anything that that money was even going to be available. But it, it raises a whole bunch of questions. I mean, over the years, um, lieutenant governors in this state generally don't vote on anything, right? So they don't have a voting record. But they they play a major role in determining what legislation even gets up for a vote. And um, so whenever we're looking at um, donors or backers of lieutenant governors, they can say, well, you know, and, and if this backer wants you know wants something done on the mm-hmm. legislature, they can say, well, I didn't I didn't actually vote on this person's bill. But the reality is, the lieutenant governor plays. I mean, he admitted in this instance. Um, what we all know is that the lieutenant governor has a major role in deciding what is and is not passed. And and the other part of it that was surprising to me is that um, you that that I, I can see him uh, someone in that role saying that to um, uh, uh, an ally in the party. Um, or someone they're trying to persuade legislatively, but mm-hmm. I don't know how well he knows uh, Mr. Tippins, and it just seemed like um, a questionable judgment to say something like that to someone who you don't know all that well. Yeah, and let's be clear about this, too. I mean, they, they were not allies in the entire campaign. Not only did Clay Tippins go after Hunter Hill, but he also went after Casey Cagle relentlessly. Right. I mean, just relentlessly. Called him a career politician. To the point of, I wrote a story right after uh, the race where I wrote that he viscerally seemed to dislike Casey Cagle when he stood on stage with him. And you could just tell on a debate stage, he was Clay Tippins was looking down the whole time. He just looked like he did not even want to be associated with with Casey Cagle, so this wasn't just some you know adversary. This was someone who, who it, you know, it you seemed like there was a, maybe was not you know. He just seemed like a deep seated rival, and then not only that, but and here's the part of the, the big part of the story that we haven't got to yet is Clay Tippins' uncle, Lindsey Tippins, is a state senator who who was the head of the Senate Education Committee, and Lindsey Tippins was an early Cagle supporter, had endorsed Casey Cagle, but during the session they had this big rift. And it was a riff not only about the student scholarship organization funding, but it was also about generally other bills that would, that helped shift some public school funding towards charter schools. And so obviously Casey Cagle went into this meeting knowing that he knew about, that Clay Tippins knew about this big riff with, with, with Lindsey Tippins. And Lindsey Tippins ended up resigning his role as the Senate Education Committee chairman over this bill and some, several other bills that Casey Cagle said, I have to have, in his own words, he said, Lindsay, I have to have this. And we can listen to that clip right now, too. But this is the deal. I said, Lindsay, I, I, I said, I got to have that deal on the committee. I got to have it. And, and I mean, either you're going to give me the bill out of committee or I'm going to have to work around you because I got to have this. This is not policy. This is about politics. And I hate to do this. And, James, I guess this speaks to one of the biggest criticisms of Casey Hagel, not only from, from Brian Kemp, his opponent, but from any other, you know, critic of his throughout, which is, uh, they've always leveled the attack that Casey Cagle is more about 
uh, you know, politics than, than policy. He, that they say that he's not a principled conservative. Yeah, the, from Pretty much from the beginning, he's been, um, and it's really not hard to document, he has been the candidate who has um, been the state house uh, candidate for governor. The he's favorite. gotten um, almost all, almost universally, all the money that's been given to by lobbyists. He's been the 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 uh, the PACs that represent uh, various business interests have all given him money over everybody else. The the institutional donors, the people that with a lot of money who like to sit on big boards and like to have influence on legislation have all been giving money of the 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 one example might be the university system board of regents who are traditionally the biggest donors um among the biggest donors in the state i mean almost to a person have donated in some cases to the maximum to his campaign so he's he's going going in and we've uh we've uh, at AGC we've written quite a bit about the fact that he is kind of the um the choice for these people. So then, when you layer that on, layer that in him saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, handle this bill because I'm worried about some foundation in Arkansas giving a bunch of money to one of my opponents. It it kind of you know adds to the whole picture of this is the this is the a guy with a lot of political experience, guy who's been around and knows you know knows how mm-hmm. things work, and is very you know, clear about what his motives are in terms of what, you know, legislation. And we should add, too, that Cagle has not backed down really an inch. I mean, when, when, when confronted with this with this recording and the, the fact that Clay Tippins was going on the record, um, Cagle said we had a good meeting with, with Tippins, that he spoke openly and honestly, in his words, um, uh, with, with Tippins about the issues, and that uh, he's kind of doubled down on the school choice issue. He said, I want everyone out there to know that no matter what, I will be a governor who advocates and signs legislation that, that enhances school choice and charter school funding. Um, so he has he has embraced the issue, even though you know behind the scenes we know that he is very torn over it. Right, right. And you know, and, it's, and to be clear, if if um, if um, um, Brian Kemp were to win the primary, whereas he now can say, you know, Hunter Hale and some of the other candidates can say, point the finger at. At Casey Cagle, that he's the candidate of the the, the lobbyists and the, the people with money and the business interests. If if Brian Kemp won the the runoff, um, he would be spending a lot of time um, putting checks in the bank from those same people. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, he will he would he instantly becomes the uh, the favorite in that race. I remember when Sonny Purdue beat um, Roy, Barnes. Roy Barnes in two thousand two. I wrote a story um, that. That um, just uh, about the just enormous amount of money that flowed in, like the week after Sonny Purdue won the election, no one thought he was going to beat, uh, not no one, but most people did not think he was going to beat Roy Barnes. And Roy Barnes had been getting all this money, and suddenly, uh, you know, the money money shifts. So it can shift in like mm-hmm. in like two seconds. I think the difference with K, with uh, Lieutenant Governor is that I, I can't remember a candidate. Um, Going in, who was not an incumbent, who has been such a favorite at the state house. I mean, there the, the usually is you know somebody's getting more money than other people, but but he really has um, he really has cornered the market. And the only uh, kind of outlier has been that um, after the uh, session was over with a number of house uh, Georgia House leaders, um, 
started donating to Brian Kemp. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's been pretty one way. It's pretty much been one way traffic. And sure. and you know now now he's now he's going to have to use that money probably. You know he will. And, and that's that's what I want to talk about next is the political fallout. We're already seeing it. We heard Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee, immediately you know within an hour of the story breaking, saying attacking both Republicans, saying that she's the only candidate in the race who is going to be the public school advocate because she voted against this this tax credit bill while she was in the Georgia legislature. And she also said Republicans, both of them, have kind of shown, in her words, uh, that they're both putting principle over politics. Hunter Hill, who fit, came in third place, released a lengthy statement saying – um, this this proves what he had said all the time, which was career candidates and career politicians, uh, like in his words, Casey Cagle, um, showed where their priorities are, and they're not truly principled conservatives. They're they're more interested in the political game. And Brian Kemp came forward and said uh, uh, shortly after the story broke as well that this not only raises ethical concerns, it raises legal issues as well. Uh, so I don't know where he's going to go with that. We're talking to all sorts of legal experts who who kind of question whether or not there's any sort of legal ramifications of this. But Brian Kemp is surely trying to suggest there are legal issues uh, with what with what that recording showed Cagle saying. Yeah, I don't, and I don't, I don't. I, I thought when I read that, I was it, I was intrigued by it because I don't know what legal you know, issues there are in playing politics with legislation. Um, and and the irony of all the talk about. Uh, outsiders in this race is that neither Brian Kemp nor Casey Cagle are outsiders by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Brian Kemp was a state he senator. A across the hall. State from- senator, and yeah, and has had an office for, you know, eight years across the hall. Um, you know, it doesn't make him a career politician any more than it does anybody else, but it, but it, they're, they're clearly the outsiders in this race all lost um, for all the talk that the outsiders were going to dominate the race. They really lost the race. In terms of political fallout, I mean, this this is a huge unknown question. Do voters shrug and say this is this this confirms what we thought, but it doesn't doesn't matter to them? Um, do vote are, are voters outraged? I mean, Clay Tippins, when I asked him, I said, "Look," I asked him in three or four different ways. Look, you're going to be cast as a sore loser by by a big segment of the Republican electorate when this comes out. What do you say to that? And he said, "I want voters to see what a window into Casey Cagle's uh, mentality. I want them. I'm outraged. I, I think that they'll be too." That's what Kelly Tippins, sort of his view of all this. Um, we'll see whether or not voters. It's a month and a half for the. It's a month that's, and a half. That's, you know, that's the difference between this dropping two weeks before the the, the runoff and in a in a month and a half. And yeah, you you I mean you know you we look at this and we go in the era of. What's go, what's been going on in Washington for the last couple of years is this significant enough to um, change the course of the race, and that's a big unknown. And remember, Casey Cagle has a huge, as we mentioned earlier, financial advantage. He raised more than seven million dollars, more than all of his com- uh, opponents combined over in the first stretch of the race. He had, he's the big favorite of the capital crowd, and he has a lot of money to be able to spend on this. His allies, even before this, this has nothing to do with this release, but even before this, we saw a pro-Kegel super PAC um, put aside $250,000 for TV ads. He has more money. Brian Kemp will not be able to keep up with the no, the, the advertising remotely, amount yeah. of money that Kegel has. And he could try to change the subject. He could 
you know, bombard the airwaves with, with, with positive ads that, 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 you know, can, can overweigh, in Kegel's hope, overweigh all this, this coverage of this recording. And he can hope that, you know, in, yeah, in, in a month and a half, voters sort of forget I mean, about he's, this. I, you know, and, and I suspect he will do this. I mean, it's equivalent of you taking your dog for a walk, and your dog's walking along, and he's, he's doing great and loving life, and he sees a squirrel, and he goes, squirrel! And he looks at it, and, he, you know, suddenly he's interested in that. I mean, that's what they kind of want is – is they want to get the message off of this issue, and they've got a lot of time. And you know, I, I it's it, it's interesting perspective. I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what what voters think of this because, as you said, I mean, I've talked I talked to lobbyists yesterday about this, and they were like, "Well, what's the you know what's the story here?" Because it's you know they assume that that's the way uh, mm-hmm. things go. So they didn't see much of a story there. But, of course, you know, that's, again, it's a window into something that, that we're not used to hearing said, yeah. just said. And then in, in the, you talk to lobbyists and they shrug it off. You talk to, you know, my neighbors or readers who are out there who are emailing. They were saying, holy crap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's totally yeah. different. Yeah. And the third perspective, you talk to lawmakers. And I just talked to uh, several of them as I was, I was walking into the Capitol this morning. And they're all, they have a very different perspective. They're like they're, they're saying, holy crap. But they're also saying. This is a good reminder that we could be recorded at any minute too, and we're already seeing it all over the Capitol, where where citizens, who residents who are who are looking to lobby lawmakers, they're they're filming lawmakers in the halls of the Capitol, they're filming them in elevators, and you know they're they're Uber drivers. There's anyone with a phone can now right. make news potentially. Right. And I think you know, and, and it's 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 like any profession where something like where the the um, the the curtain gets opened up. I've noticed some legislators on Facebook, um, Representative Turner, Scott Turner um, from Turkey was one who just said, you know, this is really bad, but please understand that this isn't, every politician does not, you know, act like this. This is not how everything is done, which is true, obviously. I mean, it's not, you know, every single decision is not made, you know, in this manner or, or you know, doesn't represent everything that's going on at the Capitol. It's just, it's something, it, it, you know, and particularly people who are not in power in the legislature, but are in the, don't want the message out. You know, not every politician acts this way or says these kind of things. Yeah, uh, but but at the top levels of Georgia government, you know, any shrewd uh, re- re- candidate from either party, they they think about this stuff, even if they don't say it. They think about this stuff in the background, um, and and that's why. It, one more clip I want to we want to play is. Let's level this. Oh, no, he, like if he got three million from the Wallen Foundation, he'd have been money. Oh. I mean, that makes him formidable. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, he would not. He ran out of money in his own campaign, you know, because he had nothing to spend in the last. I mean, down the down the finish line. But had he had three million dollars that they put behind him against me? And one thing to note, obviously, we reached out to the the Walton uh, Family Foundation's political arm. They did. They said they did not. They said on the record they did not give to any candidates. Off the record, they did not comment. So, so we don't know where they're leaning, but we do know um, that officials have met with some of the candidates. They did not end up becoming a major player in this race. But it's unlikely they were going to yeah. spend that amount. That's a huge amount of money. Yeah, and and, and you know, um, I think there's been two tangentially related um, constitutional amendments that have come up. Um, one was on charter schools and one was on the, uh, the school rescue plan. 
and the Walter Walton Foundation, if I remember correctly, got involved in at least one of them, but they got involved in them through an independent committee that um, that ran ads uh, supporting it. I think maybe it was the charter school one. Um, but they didn't get anywhere near $3 million. Yeah. I mean, $3 million, let's um, be noticed. I mean, you know, we, we would we'd be, we'd be noting that they're running all these ads or whatever. And, and you know, frankly, uh, uh, the lieutenant governor had has a uh, his supporters have a separate pack that probably have that much you know to spend anyways on their own so uh, but I don't know maybe I, I I saw that number and I was like wow that's a big that's a number. big number that's a big number and and maybe that explains a little bit why you know if he legitimately believed that why he was freaked out because you had a candidate with a huge financial advantage with an outside group that was spending about a million bucks on his behalf too Hunter Hill had had had, had a decent amount of money he raised a couple million bucks, put a little bit of his own money into the race as well. Um, but look, I mean, from Cagle's perspective, if an outside group was suddenly spending three million bucks on Hunter Hill's campaign, it would have made him a very formidable uh, opponent and probably could have helped push him back, Brian. This is all hypothetical. Yeah. But at that point of the race, near the end of the race, where Cagle's numbers were sort of plateauing around 40%, his campaign, his advisors made a decision. They said, there's no way that we can, they thought they could get over the 50% mark to avoid a runoff. And so at that point, they started trying to shape the race for number two. And for whatever reason, and we can go into that, they decided that Brian Kemp was going to be a, 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 an easier opponent for him than, than Hunter Hill. So they, tried their, they started attacking Hunter Hill at debates. His allies started sending out mailers attacking both Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins. Uh, they clearly signaled that they wanted Brian Kemp as their adversary. And we can talk a little about that. One of the reasons why is Hunter Hill is a military veteran. Hunter Hill had a plan to, had a proposal at least, to eliminate the state income tax. And Hunter Hill was very popular with the, with the school choice crowd. Um, he also had not, did not have as much uh, political experience as Casey Cagle, so it would have been easier for Hunter Hill to brand himself as the outsider. Right. Whereas Brian Kemp has an office across the hall from Casey Cagle. Right, right, right. And, 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 um, Hunter Hill said a lot of the um, said a lot of the right things for the Republican base in his race, and which is which is why we had that very strong reaction. What was it, a month or so ago on um, on gun issues when he made it, the comment about um, that that they should raise the age for for uh, for uh, people to be able to buy guns. The, the rea- that that was like such an outlier because really on a lot of different issues. I mean, he, uh, examples I remember from Hunter Hill when he was in the state senate. He was the senator who was willing to, um, or not willing isn't the right word, but he, he was the senator who was proposing legislation to um, end the uh, or to say that that new teachers weren't going to get pensions anymore, which is just like you know pouring. Gasoline, uh, cans mm. and cans and cans of gasoline on the Capitol and setting it on fire because uh, the teacher groups just, uh, you know, yeah. He he was public enemy number one, but I mean he was willing to do those kind of things, and it was that's kind of a that's kind of a, uh, uh, a one of the issues for uh, conservatives is you know to get rid of pensions um, long term. So uh, you know he was willing to do a lot of those things, which which made him. Uh, the, the lieutenant governor had a question: you know, how far he was going to go to the right on a lot of those issues, and Hunter was already there. Hunter oh, was already there, uh, which makes him a formidable runoff opponent when you have a a, a a much smaller turnout of much more fervent 
you know, conservative uh, core voters who, who show up. And that, that speaks to why uh, Cagle wanted this matchup. But look, I mean, this sets up the drama. He, this, is the, this is the opponent he got, but he also got an opponent who has a statewide name recognition, yeah. who has pretty high favorability ratings among Republicans, and who has moved to the right of him on issues, too. Look, he came out first for constitutional carry. He called for the, this, the nation's toughest abortion restrictions. And he has had these provocative campaign ads that, while many on the left and in the middle might think they're outrageous, they're beloved for many yep. conservative activists yeah, yeah, yeah. who love the fact that he's in a pickup truck talking about rounding up, in his words, criminal illegals, right. and sitting next to a, uh, a young man purportedly courting his daughter with a shotgun. I mean, this is, this is this, th- that, those are the ads that helped him get to where he is right, right now. And, and the lieutenant governor is not going to outright him. And, and yeah. you know, that's going to be that's going to be the question when it comes to the, the I mean, it's classic uh, uh, um, Republican primary question is, do you, you, you go to you go as far as you can to the right or do you also still play up to the, the chamber of commerce, commerce crowd? Yeah. I mean, Democrats have the same kind of dilemma when they're, you know, they have they have far, far left and then they have trying to be moderate and try to attract to the general voter. And Stacey Abrams and Democrats are watching every twist of this race and are already running digital ads. The Democratic Party of Georgia is using the candidate's own words in the in the primary against them. They're using they're highlighting attacks from Clay Tippins and from Hunter Hill and from Michael Williams on the debate stage, calling Cagle and Kemp all sorts of, you know, any name you could think of. Uh, and they're they're looking to leverage these same attacks in the general election because look, Stacey Abrams doesn't have a runoff to worry about. All she has to do right now is raise money and focus on a more general election campaign message. Yeah, and she she's can, already doing and it. And she can yeah, I mean she can frame it. I mean it's it's if if it's uh, the Secretary of State it's, I'm sure, all his positions uh, that you just mentioned that that uh, appeal to a primary pr- crowd, uh, but may not be as uh, palatable to kind of the general election mm-hmm. voters uh, beyond that group. And then with, I mean, this plays into the the picture she's, I'm sure, painting of Casey Cagle as the the guy who will do anything you know to get elected and will and is the the state house crowds uh, candidates. So, I mean, she she now can spend the next, you know, month and a half set uh, painting the picture that she wants to paint and you know, obviously it'll continue whoever wins will continue oh, yeah. well. I think the word you're going to hear from her campaign against them is it begins with e extremist. She's yeah. going to paint them as extremist and then whoever emerges will do the exact same thing to her saying that she's too far to the left. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the stage is set no matter who the candidates are. Extremists versus extremists. Extremist. <laughs> and we will be following every twist and turn as we have been for the last how long is this campaign? More than a year now. Um, 100 years. 100 years. Uh, it feels 100 like year campaign. Feels like 100 years. That's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to ajc.com/politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics, including all of James Salzer's watchdog and budget stories. It seems like there's one every day. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment. 
Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.